Welcome to the latest instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Now I'm joined by an experienced panel of product managers, tech leaders to discuss an intriguing topic. So the topic that will be in discussion today is going to be Marty Kagan. Uh, in and around a couple of his books, Empowered and Inspired, where we'll be going around and discussing the main takeaways. But before we delve deeper into this topic, I'd like to get a little bit of an introduction from each one of the participants today. So we'll start with Alejandro. Hi everyone, uh, it's a pleasure to to be invited to to this uh, SIO podcast, an excited topic. Uh, my name is Alejandro Mata and I work as a senior product manager for, for the Leo Group. Um, I'm originally from Spain, but I've, li- I've been living here in beautiful Denmark for, for the last 10 years. Um, my passion outside of work, I really like to to stay active, to, to train and do cycling, CrossFit, Powers are real, enjoy learning new things. And um, the last thing that I'm learning is uh, learning to fly. Very nice. Normally I'd move on to the next person, but you're going to have to tell us a little bit more about that, Alejandro. The flying bar. <laughs> yeah, that's a great story because, as you know, I I moved to from Copenhagen to Milan, where is the headquarters of the Leo Group. And it's a very small town. And uh, and I always had that passion for for, for aviation, and I found I was like a small flight club, and I decided to join. And now I'm almost done with my private pilot license, and it's such a privilege to to fly around Denmark. Very beautiful, wow. especially now in summer. Oh, congratulations, man! Just, I've never heard that one before on an introduction, so that's new. But where are you going to fly to first? You mean from from here, from Denmark? Yeah, yeah. Where's the, once you got your flight license, and you where are you going to go to? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, my my first flight, I really like to go to this uh, small island here in the middle of Denmark to, to Samso, which is it's very difficult to go by car. Uh, you need to, to go to a small road and to take the ferry, but from, from flying, it's just a 25 minutes flight from, from Bilum. And it's, it's amazing because just Small island, nothing there, and you really feel connected to, to nature. Very nice, very nice. And moving on from that introduction, Enrico, if you'd like to give us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and your interests outside of work. Yeah, very hard to top off a pilot, though, <laughs> but uh, I can go next. Uh, I'm Enrico. I'm a product manager at EY Nordic Tech Hub. I'm originally from Sydney, uh, where I grew up most of my life, and I moved to Denmark or, uh, one year ago. Um, in Copenhagen, one year ago in three days, actually. So I have now experienced the full breadth of the the four seasons, um, what the Danish summer is versus the Australian summer. So I am still trying to grasp and reconcile that part um, at the moment. Uh, <laughs> outside of work, I like to travel. I, I'm i one of those 30, by, 30 countries by 30. Uh, and... R- Vienna is the next destination as an Aussie. So, yeah. And um, I started also trying to perfect a sourdough recipe. <laughs> Not the best so far. Um, it's very hard. And the only um, saving grace is that you have to eat it the moment, it, like the day it's baked. Um, otherwise, the second or third day goes really bad and hard. So, and also currently trying to learn Danish after one year. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Very nice. And Presumably, it wasn't the weather that's brought you over to Denmark. So, tell us a little bit about that. What's uh, yes. inspired the move? Yeah. Uh, well, 
honestly the job because it was I was transitioning from um, technology consulting in back in Sydney and there was an opportunity here to enter product management and I loved it so yeah I kind I mean I haven't looked back so far it's I said as I said it's only been a year <laughs> so we'll see we'll see we'll see but I love the whole biking culture here so far I, I definitely did not get enough of that in Australia. So, yeah. Very nice. And if you ever need a cheap flight back to Australia, you know where Alejandro is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that could be our fun twist. Yeah. <laughs> um, last but not least, Hans, if you'd like to give us a quick introduction, mate. Yeah, um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm from Denmark. <laughs> uh, and uh, I have a background in tech. Uh, actually, a yeah, former developer. I have a PhD in software engineering. And... Uh, Partly um, did that in, in UC Berkeley, the, in California. Did a transition into product management um, back in 16. Um, lived in a small uh, country. Well, a small country, yes, but also a small uh, city um, called Rue, which is um, in the middle of Jutland, very near the famous Sky, Sky Mountain in Denmark, which is oh. um, 174 meters high. It's a hill. Um, mountain. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do some trail running, uh, some mountain biking. I have, uh, yeah, two kids and a girlfriend. Very nice. And which ones you you prefer, trail running, mountain biking? Oh, uh, trail running, but my knees uh, are hurting a bit, so I just had to do some mountain biking as well. I am um, a senior product manager in Luna as well, um, uh, and um, actually was responsible for the onboarding experience from you start the application to you are onboarded in uh, all the different Nordic countries and uh, for both our segment uh, consumer and business very nice hi everyone this is chris bennett here and Nordic's managing director here at evolution we're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the Let's podcast. Let's delve a little bit deeper into the topic today, which directly addresses all of your positions and titles. So, Marty Kagan, the main takeaways. You'll be tuning in. You may never have heard of Marty Kagan. You may be a massive fan. Totally ambiguous. is dependent on the listener. But what we're going to do is we're going to be discussing a couple of things from both his inspired and empowered books. And the product's nature or the product-centric approach that's, approach that's taken in both of these books makes it a great topic to discuss with free product people. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by you three guys, so let's delve a little bit deeper. How did you get introduced to Marty Kagan? And that's open to the floor. Uh, I can take this one, first of all. Um, as I said, I think uh, Marty Kagan is one of the authors that you get introduced to when you first want to delve into product management. It's like the Bible, I guess, um, that people always reference. Um, and it actually got me really uh, inspired and motivated to enter product management because he describes like this mystical place where everything works all in conjunction to each other. So I was like, wow, great, cool. Let's go into that. But 
Um, when I entered it, it's obviously, uh, I think you guys can also uh, <laughs> just be, <laughs> it's not as it seems. So I think there are, yeah, I think I do reference him um, from time to time when I am a little bit lost um, in terms of what direction or what is the standard or the guiding principle I should be following, but as not at the top of the mind every day as a product manager, I would say. And, uh, what are your thoughts, actually? You're very glad, very, very interested to hear what your thoughts are. So um, I'm going next. Um, I got introduced to Marty Kagan like when I started looking into product management. And um, my reason for, for, for going through the book was actually the founder and CEO of the company that I was working for wanted to do a transition from projects to products. And um, as my, I, had, I have a PhD in, in product line engineering. That was part of my PhD. And because of that title of my PhD, he assumed that I knew everything about products. So I read the book and, um, and he wanted me to come up with a process um, to do a standardized uh, reporting between the, the VP layer and the CEO and introduce that in the product organizations around that company. Um, so I, what I did first, I of course read through it and I was like, wow, this is brilliant. This is like entrepreneurship. This is, I want to do more of this. And uh, and then I took the yellow marker and found all the places where it said product council. And then I kind of sassed that together and, and tried to figure out how we could operationalize that in in a company called Systematic here in Denmark. So, um, so that was kind of my introduction to it. Um, what about you, Alejandro? Yeah, my my first introduction to Martin Kagan was uh, seven years ago when I was working in consulting for as a digital consultant, and I got introduced to it because we were running this innovation workshop because all of us we we were tired of as a consultant we we collect a lot of knowledge and we want to to empower people or and our customer to achieve more but seven years ago i think this day has become better but still there is time thing to improve at, the, at that time we were having this long document with a lot of project requirements and basically they were expecting that we were delivering those project requirements and many times we were ending in this situation there's almost like a the elephant in the room we get this project requirements everyone knows that it's not the the right solution and the right problem to solve, uh, but but we need to deliver that anyway. And uh, and then we at that time we 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 got this amazing consultant. It was more around innovation. It wasn't around product management. And we got introduced as well to Martin Kagan about to focus more in in outcomes and not in outputs, and also how to solving uh, how to focus on to solve the the right problem to solve. And that for me was like a very energized, was uh, such a refreshing uh, mindset at that time. Awesome. And I find it very insightful there that you all say something that perhaps when you're moving into product management, it's a book that you passed, I think, from the people I've discussed this, both titles with, it seems to be something that does make its way into product management, especially when you're going into that career path. Well, I suppose I did hear a little bit of an undertone of scepticism, perhaps in and around some of the things and how much you know you should use it. And I think we'll address that later on. But I think the way in which we should start this is talking about or addressing one of the main takeaways, something that really resonates with your experience that you, you do tend to fall back on, something that's really stood out. And 
I'd like to go to Hans for this one first. Which part stood out? Of course, my, my focus at that point was like, yeah, product council. But in general, um, I was also working, before that, I was working as a, a developer on a, on a big um, a national uh, project um, for the municipalities in Denmark. And uh, what I realized was we were building a lot of features. And some of the features were uh, not creating any value at all. It was just delivery by contract. And that was a big problem because from my point of view, I'm like, I don't want to, as your um, time is kind of the finite source, right? So you don't want to waste your time here uh, on on developing stuff that are never going to be launched. And that was not the first time I, I encountered that. I spent like, I think, a half to a whole year as a student programmer developing some digital signing solutions, and it was never put into production. So, you know, that I just felt the pain of developing stuff that didn't create any impact, didn't create any value. It was just a waste of, of, of life to actually develop it. And that was also one of the motivations to go into this. So it kind of hit the nail uh, with uh, Inspire that he was like preaching, okay, we actually need to consider what we're doing here. We don't want to waste time. We don't want to waste cycles. We want to create a... Uh, outcome and not just features and that was that was inspiring right so that was uh, one of the yeah takeaways i think some of the points you've made there are definitely to each and every organization fundamental parts of making revenue making profit in terms of taking time ensuring that you are focused on outputs also you are focused on outcome and i think i'd like to move it over to alejandro as well what really resonates with you from either of the books for for me i think the thing that it resonated the most uh, from the book. It was this thing around uh, customer and user-centric and, and value-driven uh, mindset and, and that culture of experimentation. Especially, uh, I, I've been spending here my own, almost all my entire career in Denmark. And here in Denmark, we, we really like to, to discuss things and to, to explore different perspectives. Many times we we, we 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 use more time uh, really talk talking uh, and discussing rather than than taking action and, and experimenting. Uh, and and when I read the book, it, all the all the power around experimentation and and running an experiment to learn things to to validate if it creates value or not for for the user and customer. Uh, that was for me. A very refreshing. Right, right now it's all more like a common sense. Everyone is doing the the lean startup method to 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 build, test, and learn. At that time, that was the most important thing that I learned. Fundamentally, agree with you. I think feedback is so essential, and almost seeing it in black and white there in front of you. You mentioned it's something that everybody does now. But perhaps it just gives you that little bit of a, a push or motivation to just stop talking and just go and get it done and get it out there, get some customer feedback. As you say, customer-centric and user-centric approach is very insightful in the book. And what about yourself, Enrica? What's the, the main takeaways? I think the, one of the main takeaways is the fact that throughout the whole book, he, there's a concept that he um, uh, references evangelizing um, the product itself. And I think that's very, very, and just very important in a large organization where um, you you might be building something with no clear 
outcome or there is no tangible anything. There is nothing that usually exists there at the moment. And what you really need on your side is stakeholder buy-in and really convincing them on board that there is something there, like it may be way what work, but I think the idea of co-creating also with the stakeholders and a bit a bit about about the user-centric and feedback approach, Alejandro. And I think that's the main takeaway that he said that makes um, what makes a successful product team stand out. Um, the fact it's not just a product team by itself, but it's in conjunction with all the business, like the needs and balancing that because at the end of the day, if it doesn't serve the needs of the business as well as the customer, like it's a fine line um, to balance. And I think his concept of creating uh, reference customers, I think that was really important. And I think I can see it from day to day um, in, in terms of my work, but and what a difference it makes um, between certain projects and with with and without reference customers. So I, that, I think that's one thing that really resonated with me and how impactful it is. I think some really nice insights there and an overview. But I suppose one thing that I'd like to explore a little bit more and perhaps in depth, you've all put forward a great point there. So I'd just like to ask each one of you a follow-up question off the back of what you've said. So you've discussed something in the book. I'd like to know a little bit more about how you apply this in a day-to-day role. So on other hand, you mentioned there that you don't want to build features that, you know, are not going to be launched. You don't want to waste time. How do you go about adopting that approach and ensuring that everything that you are doing is really effective? Sorry, Hans. <laughs> okay, I can guess that. Um, so um, we try. So um, the thing is that this is when uh, <laughs> kind of uh, Mike Kagan hits reality sometimes. And it's bit, so I'm, I'm working in a startup, right? And... Um, and so there's some features that are built um, and mostly for the investors and also to uh, to get more investors on board. Uh, we want to expand, we want to create new value, we want to also put flags on things that might not uh, be based on customer interviews. So we will still build uh, features. We will still have things that are, um, that we deliver for other reasons that are than, than customer interviews. Uh, but we are trying our best, you know, to balance it um, and also um, to get as close as we can to the customers, listening on on, on calls from the customer support, uh, interviewing them ourselves, and get a lot closer to them to uh, actually um, work on creating an a value or having an objective that we can try to reach uh instead of having something that is a brilliant thought uh, of a solution uh, by someone and uh, we usually uh, succeed in that when it's kind of soft the requirement but there are some things that are more or less mandatory for us and uh, that's kind of the the thing with with inspired it's um it's a it's a bit hard to uh, to reach it in reality, and I haven't done so far. I haven't reached like a complete, <laughs> uh, a complete Mary Kagan inspired state. Uh, but I think that we're definitely moving in the right direction. And it was the, the first organization I was working in when we tried to apply this. There's a project organization that was on the highest. Uh, process maturity level because they were delivering to the American forces, and because of that, we had PRDs, we had so we had all these long requirements, and a lot of compliance, a lot of things that we needed to live up to, and that was all built for a waterfall method, and we tried 
of us to move into where we actually wanted to deliver outcome and not output. So sometimes you just find that kind of the the walls are there, but you need to see how much you can you can do within those uh, walls, right? And that's just my personal experience. I don't know if it resonates with anyone else. No, I think that's certainly insightful, and I think the little coin term there that this is where Marty Kagan meets reality. That certainly, um, I think that'll resonate with a few people. There's plenty of theories, plenty of things that you can take away, but then you try to utilize them in your, your day-to-day organization. It can often be perhaps different. You've got other stakeholders, other needs and requirements. But I suppose on the back of that, Alejandro, one of the things that you mentioned is, you know, customer-centric and user-centric approach to provide value. Less time discussing, more times getting product out there to get some feedback. So how do you utilize that on a day-to-day basis? Uh, that's a great question because... Uh, how I apply that in a, in a day-to-day basis. I, I, I like to drive to empower the team to when we when we when we every time that we do sprint planning uh, and roadmaps that uh, we reshape our our provision all that uh, everything is everything is based uh, on on real problems to solve. So so for me as a product manager, how I drive that is to to be very sharp. Uh, as a product team and also as a product organization here in the logo, uh, how do we make sure we are we're solving the right problems? Um, and and how do I make sure as a product manager to to empower the, the team to to find out how to solve a problem uh, as best as possible? Because believe it or not, when when you do that, then you you every team member can bring their own perspective. Their own value. So, so, so if you have the the problem to be solved. There are thousand, a million ways to to find the best solution, and 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 that's to be to be more precise. How I implement that in my day to day basis in my team, we we are using based on the inspiration of the uh, of the Martin Kager book because Hans's mention is not everything is is real and is very challenging to implement everything, but we are we are getting this imp- inspiration of focusing on the problem to solve, what are the most important thing, empowering the cross-functional team with this framework that's called a hero squad. That basically, basically every time that, that we start a spring, we, we identify okay, what is the most important focus area to, to be focused, not in features, focus area and problem, and then the team has total freedom to to, to deep dive and to identify how to solve that problem and to actually deliver at the end at the end of the sprint. And then at the end of the sprint, we always have this uh, mission uh, debriefing where we we collect all the all the feedback from from the user and the stakeholder, and then we we take it to to the next. That's thank you very much for Alejandro. Enrico would follow up on your point about evangelizing the product and perhaps prioritizing the needs of the customer as opposed to the business but i think that was touched on by the other two so i don't want to endanger you know going back over something we've discussed i think stakeholders was something that popped up a couple of times and something else that popped up there alejandro that i found really insightful and will lead nicely onto the next question is about empowering the engineers and empowering teams so inevitably one of the books is called empowered kagan talks about the critical role of empowered teams in building successful products so what are some examples perhaps from yourself that you've implemented in terms of empowering your team or you've seen around you that's a good method for empowering people? And I'll direct this one at Enrico as I did 
skip asking a follow-up question so <laughs> could you give us a couple of examples or perhaps something that you've seen within the industry that you think is a really good example of this um i think embracing a um a failure uh, mindset fail fast mindset and the fact that i think experimentation across the team is quite important in validating new ideas that you know we don't as i said like alejandro mentioned you don't want to spend too much time on this and then figuring out it's not the right product fit so we um in our team we hold uh bi-weekly we call it demo or die sessions where um the engineers are forced uh to demo something that they were working on whether it be um directly project related or just something they were just uh, filling in with um, on the side just out of curiosity or they die <laughs> or punishment but I think uh, it's I think working um, across different squads and teams it's uh, for engineers especially it's easy to just get down to the nitty-gritty of the day-to-day work without um, knowing what is what else is out there in, in the broader team and you know maybe uh, what and one engineer had um, trouble facing um, the other week could be explored in these um, demo or die sessions and they could actually learn and um, learn from each other. So I think those have been quite a hit so far and I think we're going to continue running them. So I think uh, besides that, I think uh, one-on-one coffee chats, I think, with the engineers are also really helpful um, just to understand also, what 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 are some of the problems that they would like to be working on instead of just product managers giving them, hey, we've got something like this, can you do can you do it? What's the time estimate on this? Blah 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 blah. Um, it's also mm-hmm. nice to know when they also have an innate passion um, uh, to do something. I think they would also surprise you with the results of how far they get along as well. And just uh, there was a quote that he used in the book. It's don't show, don't tell them what to do. Just show them where they need to go or how to do it. You don't. I might be messing this up, but something along the words of that. I thought that was really inspiring because I don't hold the, I don't pretend to know and hold the technical um, answers in my head. So also trusting um, them along the process and you know um, forming that closer connection one on one in regular touch points. I think would also help. Certainly. I think we're not going to quote you word for word, but just the fact that that's something that stuck with you, I think that says a great deal about that quote. But just a quick follow-up question. You give a real-life applicable example there of ways in which you empower your team. So how frequently do you host these demo or die, as you refer to it? How frequently are they hosted those meetings? Uh, sometimes uh, we aim for bi-weekly. Um, the more frequent, the better. Um, just because the whole concept behind that is that it doesn't need to be perfect. So there is no there's no expectation that from us that, you know, this is a delivery and another deliverable and another thing that they have to work on on top of their user stories. So it's just something, hey, quick, this is something cute, like, you know, quick and dirty that I spun up. Does it work? Does it not? Thoughts. And it kind of just forces, you know, somewhat like an engineer's work um, to the rest of the wider team. Um, and they could share and learn um, in a more open and collaborative environment. Um, I thought that has been really useful, especially when, um, as I said, um, sometimes they get too bogged down in one of the, the nitty gritty uh, without realizing that there are there is also a broader suite of products out there. Um, but bi-weekly, I would say frequency is the key to having these learning um, sessions. Could be more often weekly, weekly demo as I. 
Yeah, I just had to follow up on that because I think we probably will have junior product managers who are listening and I think it sounded like a real good method to perhaps increase innovation as well as ensuring that the, the engineers feel empowered and feel like they have a voice and an opportunity to perhaps display some of the work that they can do or some ideas they may have. But what about yourself, Hans, in regard to empowerment, perhaps some examples that you've seen or anything you'd like to mention? Yeah, so, so um, I read uh, the Empowered Program year ago, one and a half year ago or something. Um, and I think some of the main uh, main ideas that uh, that I took away from the book was that uh, was the like empowered uh, product teams and not feature teams. And again, like kind of recapping on the inspired thing that we want we want impact and not just a feature factory. Um, and then um, we want to focus on a problem and not necessarily the technology solving that, right? So really trying to frame the, the 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 problem and talking about the problem. So and what I do like in my normal uh, in my daily life is just I'm really focused on that is the problem I bring forward. Because we have so many exceptional skilled skilled engineers that they and they they used to doing like um solutions every day and complex problem solving. So if I if I Think forward with a solution to a problem. It'll probably not be the best solution. They can see so so many different different options and and inputs and and actually I think it's really it's it's good for the company and it's really good for the solution that the customers. But also seeing the creative side of the engineers that just like want to jump on board this this problem and sometimes they they solve things in a in a completely different way that is a lot better than than you expected and sometimes you just need to believe and and walk away <laughs> and uh i think that's uh that's part of the empowered uh, uh empowered teams um and then he also really stresses that we want to eradicate the the, the the separations between business and tech right and also seeing this in here in Luna, um where tech and, and product are so closely aligned we are so close aligned and uh, and I think both tech I know that both tech leaders and product leaders are really inspired and empowered. So we are totally on the same page. Uh, there might be a little bit of uh, a separation between the rest of the organization, though, because not all uh, um, business attentive have read the inspired book. So when we talk about like uh, solving problems and and not uh, developing solutions, they are sometimes you can just see it in their eyes that. What are they talking about, right? And we all know that what we're talking about. And then the last piece is is more, you know, sometimes you have an idea of a solution, and and uh, instead of bringing forward the solution, like taking a more coaching approach, uh, ask me some questions about like how we could solve that, and if there's this impediment over here, could we solve it in a different way? And and they come up with the solution, the ownership and the motivation is just like amazing instead of just handing features to a development team so that's yeah that's that's yeah, really I, was, I was really looking forward to your take on this i think coming from a development background you probably see things a little bit different as well coming as a developer and then going into products i think you see both sides so it's almost like you've gone from that developer background where you can see how other people have done it in the past and then now you can move into products and you have a little bit more of a knowledge on how you would like to be approached the way in which you think in hindsight that you could have inspired innovation and give them a voice. But 
What about yourself, Alejandro? That's a great question. And for me, the how I really like to to empower my my team is first of all, it's time for 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 protecting the team, especially in our organization. We we are very open minded. Uh, we really like to experiment and to explore and to innovate. So there are many uh, compa- competitive uh, uh, different initiatives. So for me, I, one of the first things that I really always try to do to empower my team is to take all these uh, battles and misalignments about what thing has to be prioritized to make sure that the the team doesn't get demotivate from, from that on that side because many times can be very energy draining and I will I would love always I said to I will I will take that talk you don't need to think about it it's not part of, of, of the team role uh, the business and I and with the users and uh, I really need we really need to figure it out together what is the the most important thing to to prioritize and to focus as a as a, as a company, what is, it's not just of the team, what is the best thing to focus for the company? And then and then the team can feel empowered empower and say, okay, there is any any noise around this project. Everyone is aligned why this project has been prioritized and and what is the what is the goal? But then how to how to solve that? How to build that problem, how to solve that solution or so what Hans was mentioning and also Erica, she, she told a little bit about it. It's about how can I really like to involve engineers as early as possible. So they really feel they 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 own their own part of the solution and also they they can many times they feel they also has been their idea. And this for me is kind of one of the key indicators of success that the things are going well is when everyone in the team they they feel that it's a combination of everyone's ideas. So for me, involving the team as early as possible to 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 get the best idea is one of the key things to to build that ownership. And then also, I really like to to empower my team to the team has to feel as well their the the accountability. So so when we are when we are committing to things. And to prioritize or in in our sprint planning and all the different process ceremonies, I always have the approach that kind of like uh, always say this is my my wish list, uh, but the team has to feel accountable and feel confident. It has to come from their side about what is the commitment to deliver. So I never would say okay, we need to deliver this at that deadline. This is not how this is not how we work, but rather to to come from the from the team members okay what the team really feel to commit uh, because when we do that then everyone is on the same ball and everyone feel the accountability and and the energy that thrive is amazing i mean many times i have to say to myself okay let's not work too much because uh, people are very passionate about it and and i think that for me is a true sign of of empowered teams i think that was a great take and I think one of the things that I'd touch on is you mentioned you ensure that everyone's aligned and the goals are clearly outlined and the team know exactly why this is prioritised, which I think brings us on nicely to the next question in regard to in Inspired, it discusses the concept of product vision and the role it plays in guiding product de- product development. So I'd like to just ask you as a quick follow-on question to the point Alejandro made, 
How should, or perhaps do you as product managers, create and communicate a compelling product vision? And I'll go first through, um, we'll go to Alejandro again. Love the last answer, mate. It's led us directly onto this one. So let's let's follow up with your answer on this one. Yeah, then, uh, yeah, I, I would love to, to share my 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 approach to how to build and, and share a compelling vision and and i always uh, i like to to go a step further of what the organization is doing because for example in my organization uh, okrs objective king result we have a very inspiring vision an inspiring purpose an inspiring mission but that for me is not enough because and when you look at it from a from a product perspective, every product has a has their own mission that is connected to the bigger mission uh, of the organization. So for me, every time they they work with work with uh, the product vision or reshape it and, and review it, I always start asking asking myself why why do we exist and why does it matters? And to really deep dive on those questions, and it's not. As a product manager, I always say my role is to connect in the dots because I'm not here saying this is my vision. And and that's my approach that I always like to 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 collect the, the key input from the key stakeholders and key customers and to build that to the next level and say, okay, this is this is our not my product vision, but this is our product vision. And to to have that feeling of, of belonging. Um, um, and feeling also of sharing uh, a same purpose or a shared purpose, that for me will make uh, uh, visions to, to become a reality. And, uh, and just to more in, in the practical uh, side, I really like to use the uh, future back thinking uh, framework. One of the clear examples is when, when Steve Jobs created the iPad, he basically he made this the mock-up. At that time, he didn't see the technology, he didn't see the, the the capability to do that, but he created this kind of hyper mock-up. And then he came back to to the to the team and said, okay, this is this is the, the future, but now we need to we need to go there. And that future about thinking, mising to think very ahead in the future, and then back to reality and take one step at a time to to materialize the the vision for me is is very very important because when it, when talking about about vision it's key that people feel progress because if you always talk about the vision but you don't feel progress toward that vision people uh, teams organization customer they, they tend to to get demotivated and and to lose the trust of that vision. I suppose just a follow-up question there. I mean, you work at Lego, a, a massive organization, especially in Denmark, and you mentioned something interesting in regard to the overarching vision of Lego and then the vision of the product. So obviously Lego have a, a very a focus on creativity, learning, fun, quality, and that's the overarching theme. So how intertwined is that with your individual product vision? Is that just something that goes without saying, or is that something that you put a primary focus on to ensure that this is echoed? Back to the engineers from the from internal stakeholders higher up, perhaps. That, that's a great question because basically what you mentioned about is our is our backbone, is our heart, and so 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 how I use our organization vision is a foundation for the product team. So so that's the key by someone like a 
you, you somewhat like an iceberg. You have the, the tip of the iceberg, but you need to make sure that the the, the vision of the of the organization is translated, is is connected to the to the to the vision of the product. And how is this about foundation and also like a, a direction? Uh, so so it's almost defined. Uh, what is the the play field that we are playing as a product team? But how do we play and how do we win with our product? That's that's our product vision. Nice, thank you for that. And Enrica, what about yourself on this question? So, in regard to product vision, how do you create or communicate a compelling product vision? I think I resonate with Alejandro that I think product vision is something that you need to communicate right at the start um, to get everyone's um, on board. And but I think it should also be a working document and changing vision. The more into discovery that you go into, the more the vision changes. With if you add too many cooks to the broth as well, um, things get cluttered, and it's very hard to cut through the noise of it all as well. So it so vision also kind of inherently changes as you go along. Um, and I think communicating across that noise, I think the key thing again goes back to getting and co-creating that with the stakeholders and the business. So making sure that, yes, maybe the vision is changing, but um, the your empathies and your pain points are still reflected in some capacity. Um, I think that whole point of reference customers is so important and having regular touch points and continuous feedback without, uh, without any sort of judgment of where it should go or shouldn't go, I think that's the best thing also this that the business can enable a product vision to come to life as well um whether that like everyone is i think a crew member as well in order to craft that product vision and making it come to life and whilst it's 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 whilst everyone wants to see that come to life i think you also need to balance okay the business in terms of the patience um that they can have versus also the urgency of the product that is needed as well. Um, and I think striking a ba- fine balance between the two is, in, I think, the biggest challenge um, in creating, like, in uh, making the product vision come to life. But I And I think that's something that you just build over time and it's practiced, um, like, over and over again through every little hurdle that you go through. Um, and, yeah, I think also just a bit of, on... Um, concentration and concentrating on what is the root cause of the problem um, and use that as a north star once you're going on the discovery process to find and um, to bring actually more uh, life into the product vision and yeah I, I I think I still struggle with product visions just because, the, as I said, cutting through the noise is quite difficult in a large organization. You've got all these compliance issues from the global mandates and then versus what your team's initiative and regional-based um, policies are. So I think it's it's all a fine line and balance. And at the end of the day, if you've, um, if you've met one of the main um, pain points, I think it's a win um, and getting everyone on board and happy along the process. It's definitely some insightful points there. And I think you touched on again, the organization and the dynamic that that has working at a large corporation. And as you say, cutting through the noise, going through doors of internal stakeholders in order to communicate your your personal vision. But Hans, I mean, from your perspective, you work at a large organization by all means, 
but perhaps you have something new to add from a different perspective working over at Luna. So it, it's kind of it, it kind of goes back to um, to the empowerment, right, of the squads or teams. And uh, from my point of view, the two parts are connected here because if you don't have a direction for your empowered team, there's this is just like pure anarchy, right? So uh, that would mean that my my squad that is uh, responsible for activation and onboarding would suddenly think, okay, so we have a vision uh, in the company that we want to have uh, financial well-being of our customers. That's a kind of vision, right? We want to set them free financially. So we want the people to uh, to gain control of their own finances, their own life, and set them free, right? So that that is like a business business goal or vision, like a long-term vision. But we can go there like in many different ways. And if we don't like kind of set the playing fields, as you said, a hundred and that, then my my squad will say, oh, I think actually crypto is 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 the best way to get people free, right? So we can just go and and, and work on that instead. So no more onboarding of customers over here because we find something else to solve here. It is a pain point, right? Um, so I think this it's kind of um, the the thing is that you really need kind of a vision that is like two to five years. I think Kagan is saying that like two to five years out, and um, so you have a direction that is not really changing that much. So, and then you, you you start to build that gap with your strategy and maybe also a little bit of product vision below that company vision. And and you have a direction and you know what to do, but you also kind of know, okay, but we are not going into the investment banking. We, we are not onboarding squad because someone needs to take care of that, right? So you kind of need like the boundaries and you kind of need the direction to actually uh, empower squads. Um, and... That kind of reminds me of uh, uh, a Nieberg um, thing from from Spotify, where he's, he's kind of explaining this that you have all these squats, and if you do like uh, without a vision and a direction, you'll have like people with the squats going everywhere, like making redundant work and stuff like that. So you you kind of need the bankalism, as you're talking about, uh, Enrique, that you need someone to step up and actually say, "Breach, this is the direction. This is this is what we want to do, right?" And then the empowered team will, will kind of come together and, and, and figure out like how do we get there? And, um, and I think that's the kind of two sides of the, the coin, right? That you need the direction, you need the evangelism to actually have the empowered sports. That's at least like my perspective on it. Is there anything that anyone would like to add off the back of that? I think it's nice that it's gone full circle and going right back around to the initial point you made, Enrique, regarding evangelizing the product. So I'd like to hear your take on on that as well i think the main thing is just how do we make it's a fine line again um event like it's it's there's no right answer i think <laughs> and i think that is the struggle and beauty of uh of us as product managers where we want to involve as much involve the business as well and making sure that it is something that adds value and impact but at the same time we can't cater for everyone because then it's not a good product <laughs> or it's not the right product and i i just think that's i think there's no right answers at the end of the day i think it's all about trial and error um but having the right empowered team to know that it is okay to fail and okay on to the next one what can we learn from this is the right way forward like because i think alejandra saying like you want all the team members to also feel motivated and so energized to create, okay, something more onto the next sprint, onto the next sprint. So even if it's something doesn't work out or it's, you know, maybe a stakeholder is angry or 
what have you, um, as long as they keep that spirit alive um, and not let that bog you down a little bit, then I think that's it's a win in my eyes um, because I feel like it's too hard to solve all the pro- uh, all the problems and challenges in the world. But I think that's an easy way for, easy way um, out. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and now to round things off, a little bit cautious of time. I know we've got seven minutes left before we hit the hour mark, but I'd just like to know, I think you just hit the nail on the head there, Rika, that you could say it depends and it's very hypothetical and you could go around that route of ambiguity where it is very much. So I'm going to ask you to address this one as directly as possible. What's your opinion on the real-life application of the Mike Egan books? There's some some shortcomings, right? Because as Alejandro, you're also working in a big organization and sometimes you just need to change technology, right, for the whole product portfolio, right? How How is that inspiring? How is that connected to talking to users? You're... You, basically porting something from one technology to another, right? And you still have to do it. There's nobody else coming and solving that problem for you. So there's also like cleaning up and uh, doing the laundry. And we cannot always be playing in this green field of development, but, and I think I think it's it's very uh, suited um, for for green field development uh, and a little bit, yeah, Marty Kagan meets reality, right? That you actually need to to do the other stuff as well. So you cannot do discovery all the time. You cannot do discovery delivery all the time. You also need to do a little bit of more delivery when you have to to um to you know pay back some tech debt, for example. Um, and it's not discovery work. It's just it's just work, right? It's it's not fun to the, in the same <laughs> to the same level as as addressing customer new customer problems. That's at least the, my opinion. Um, that it's it's not always applicable. Alejandro? I completely agree with, with Hans that it's, it's not always applicable. Uh, from my perspective, I see I see the Martin Kagan books more like uh, guidelines, but then every organization and every product manager has the, the responsibility to to really tailor-made what is the, the right thing and the right fit for each product team and for each organization. And, and many times it's, it's not about what is the the best practice to do according to, to Martin Cover, but it's more about what is the right thing to do for, for, for the co- company or for, 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 the, for, for the customers, also for our, for our company college. And and that and, and on those situations, I, I always I don't think about what is the what is the right way to do according to the book. I say, okay, how can I solve a problem as best as best as possible? And also for me, also a reflection around this book is always good to say no to to things, and also it's great to to do to be to be bold. And um, maybe in you in your back of the head, you say that Martin Cohen says total opposite way but as long as you you are solving the the, the right problem for the organization for, for your customer for your team it's totally okay and and also for me it's also uh, I think that also is not applicable is you cannot make it work all the points that Martin Karen said so you really want to have all these uh, points and best practice implemented in the team. That's never going to happen. But if you can if you can implement eighty percent of those 
a recommendation and best practice. That's a complete success. So have that mindset that you don't need to implement 100% of the best practice and recommendation of the book. It will help you to, to come very long on the way. What about yourself, Amika? Uh, I think it's exactly on point with what Alejandro has um, said, because I, as I mentioned, I think Marty Kagan, what he describes is definitely an ideal world where there are no business constraints and there is there is just infinite resources and availability of them. So I think cherry picking the right points, um, like I think after reading the book, it's about taking a, a, taking a stock take of what you have currently existing in your organization and, you know, what makes sense to have that and how much can you influence some of his, take his learnings into your te- existing team. I think one, and I think he makes a really good point, like the, the, there were three differentiations, the good, the bad, the ugly team, um, a delivery uh, feature and a product driven team. And I think most companies do fall into the feature um, team, maybe, um, but driving that, well, from my experience it is, um, but driving how do we change that into a product team is probably at the core of what Marty Kagan says. And I think it starts with, um, yeah, thinking about what other things that we can actually change and influence within the organization on our day-to-day um, and like a step, one step at a time. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point, Riga. I was also thinking about like, again, it's, maybe it's not directly applicable, but it's kind of guiding principles. You believe you believe in, in, in what he's doing, moving closer to the customers, empowering the squads. And when you can do, when, when you find this, uh, uh, the freedom to move in that direction, you're moving in that direction because we kind of believe that that is the right way to build products, right? Mm-hmm. So... It might not be directly applicable in all situations, but when we can, we'll move that way. And I think on that note, unless anybody has anything further or final to add, I think that's like a really nice dynamic where we almost went full circle. We started with some of the main things that you've talked from the book, some ways in which the the coach resonate with your personal experience, be it the prioritization of needs, providing value, more time discussing, and actually taking action and the way that the book has inspired you to do that. Even on saving time, by not developing features or products that are not going to be launched, something that Hans mentioned earlier. And then right through to Amika saying it helps to evangelize the product. But then I love the way at the end as well that you actually took a, a stop gap and perhaps understood that there's some guiding principles, but it's not a Bible. You can't take it for gospel and you've got to take certain elements and apply that to your everyday work where you can. But on that note, I'd just like to thank you all for some amazing contributions. If you're listening to this episode and you'd like to join me on a, on a future episode, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or drop me an email at connor.leland at evolution-nordics.com. See you all soon.